jump right in as, uh, as the ushers finish collecting the offering. We're going to go ahead and, and keep moving along, and I, I want to remind you where we're at. Um, we are, well, you're at church. If you didn't know that, you should come more often. Um, but, but I want to remind you uh, where we're at in our series. We are working through um, our Freedom From Religion series. Uh, and, and throughout this series, we've been walking through the book of Colossians, seeing what Paul has to say uh, to that church there, and, and consequently what he has to say to us about the ways that sometimes, and, and I think maybe that's being generous, the way that frequently we tend to focus on the wrong things here in church. We, we sometimes, we, we tend to get stuck on this idea that religious activity somehow, some way will do something for us, that it'll save us, that it'll free us, that it'll, it'll make us right with God. And what we're seeing through this letter that Paul wrote is that religious activity is, in and of itself, it's worthless. Showing up to church, in and of itself, is worthless. Prayer, reading the Bible, coming to the altar, being baptized, saying your confirmation, having your first communion or your second or your hundredth or your thousandth communion, in and of themselves, those things are worthless. That doesn't mean that they're not good activities. It doesn't mean that they're not good things. But the Bible very clearly teaches that there is one thing and one thing alone that will save you. It's in Galatians 3. talks about this idea that you are saved by grace through faith not by any earthly or super spiritual activity that you can check off your list. You are saved by grace, through faith, and that is it. All of those other things are great things. All of those other things have significant value in the kingdom of God and in the life of a believer. But none of those other things, hear me now, do not be confused. None of those other things will make you a believer. I don't care how many times you do them and with what religious zeal you do them with, none of those things matter when it comes to your salvation. Your salvation comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We've likened it this way before, and I continue to do this because I love milkshakes. Milkshakes are delicious. Every year, I get a little excited at Shamrock Shake Day. You know the damn, who knows the damn I'm talking about, right? I don't know why they take it away. And it, and it makes me kind of sad that they do take it away, but I love Shamrock Shake Day, the day that I can go get my first Shamrock Shake of the year at McDonald's. I don't work there. I don't own stock there. Not trying. I just like them a lot. But we say grace and faith, it works like this. Grace is the milkshake. It's what, it, it, it's what you need right? I mean, I don't know that you need a show. It, the metaphor falls apart, but it's the milkshake. Faith is the straw that draws it out. We are saved by grace through our faith that draws God's grace to ourselves. That's it. That's the whole point of this series. It's the whole point of the letter that Paul's writing to the church, um, and, and, and we've been working through that and seeing that. And we continue this morning. Uh, we find ourselves in Colossians 3, um, and today we talk about if we are saved, um, what then does that mean for the kind of people that we are? Okay, and so we talk today about being a Christian and how it's really not okay to be a Christian 
and at the same time be a jerk. And Paul writes that out for us, and he maps that out for us, and he tells us, look, you can't be a Christian and yet continue to act like a jerk. And there's ways that we deal with that, and we'll get into it as we get in Scripture. But first, I want to show you this picture. Um, some of you, I'm going to turn my thing on. I always have clicker issues. Some of you shoot those for fun. Raise your hand if you hunt ducks. I do not hunt anything. But I knew what it was. It's a duck. And you know the expression, right? If it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, if it looks like a duck, then what is it? It's a duck. It's not a complicated thing to figure out. Uh, the idea is simply this. What I observe about something ought to then tell me what I need to know about it. Let's put it in different terms. You got a guy that's married. He ought to look, act, talk like a married guy. You get married... You don't go out with your buddies after work every night. You don't spend a bunch of money without consulting your spouse. You, you don't um, spend all of your time on dating websites. You don't go out on random dates with random people. See, because once you get married, you're... I feel like I need to stop and clarify. That's true. You don't do any of that when you're married. Okay? Don't do it. But anyway, so here's what happens. When you're married... You start to look and act like a married guy. You pass what we call the sniff test. People will, will know that you're married, right? right? You, you go home after work. You go out on dates with your wife, not with other women, right? You, you spend your money on family things, not on just you. Like everything changes when you get married. You look different when you get married. The problem is, when you don't, you don't stay married very long, right? If you get married and you keep acting single, your marriage will not last. It'll be shown for what it is, not true for you. Did you know that in America, 70.6% percent of the people identify with Christians. They would say, I'm a Christian. If you, you talk, seven out of ten people in this country would tell you that they are, in fact, a Christian. Now, can you imagine what the world would look like if seven out of ten people acted like a Christian? Could you imagine what Vinton would look like because here in Vinton, it's a whole lot higher than 70%. But could you imagine what would happen if 70% of people acted like they were Christians? See, it makes sense everywhere else. We, we know you can't look like a duck and not be a duck. We, we, you know, we know you can't be married and not look like you're married. But for some reason, we think you can be a Christian, but you don't really have to worry about looking like a Christian. You don't have to worry about acting like a Christian. You don't have to worry about thinking like a Christian or behaving like a Christian. You can be a Christian in here. Like, I can be a Christian in my heart because it's not about religion. It's about the fact that I'm saved by grace through faith. So I'm saved, and I can just keep doing whatever I want. 
See, but what Paul tells us in this letter is that there's a breakdown in the way we understand this. There is a huge disconnect in the way this works. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith, but that faith necessarily changes us. And we're going to see that as as we walk through the scripture today. But but here's the thing I need you to know as we get going. Christians should, and this is Paul's premise with, with the text that we're going to look at today, Christians should look, sound, and act tangibly different than the rest of the world. And you know why that is? You're sick of seeing these verses. I'm sure that you're sick of seeing these verses, but I have to show them to you because they're so critically important because these are the truths. As a Christian, you are not the same person that you used to be. If you are here this morning and you are on the outside looking in on Christianity, which means you don't claim Jesus, you've never claimed Jesus Maybe you're interested in Jesus. Maybe your mom told you you had to show up today because it was Mother's Day. I don't know. Okay, Whatever it is, if you're on the outside looking in, then this is not yet true for you. But if you are here today and you claim Jesus, this is your reality. Anyone who belongs to Christ that is a Christian that claims Jesus has necessarily become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. You are not who you were. If you are here today and you are a Christian, you necessarily must look different than you used to look. I don't, I mean, mean, I mean, whatever, cut your hair, wear different clothes, I don't care. I don't mean physically, obviously. I mean, you are different behaviorally, the way you act, the way you talk, the way you think, the things that you engage in, the people that you spend your time around, the people that you let pour into your life. All of that changes when you become a Christian. Your old life is gone. A new life has come in its place. And as a result of that new life, Paul tells us in Romans 12 that you aren't to copy the behaviors and customs of the world, but that you're to be transformed into something new by changing the way you think. See, part of being new is that you'll change the way you think. We talked about this last week. Some of you, really, really comfortable with your sin. Not as a Christian. Not as a Christian. As you're a Christian, that changes the way you think and you become, you look less and less like the world that tells you sin is awesome and good and okay. And if it doesn't hurt other people, you can do it and you don't worry about it. And you become more and more like Jesus Christ who says, be holy because I'm holy. Okay? But notice where this all stems from. This all stems from being a Christian. None of this makes you a Christian. Okay? And so we're going to jump into the text here and we're going to see when Paul says, when you are, actually he'll spend the first four verses reminding us of why it's true, and then he'll tell us when it is true that we have to be different and that you can't continue to be jerky. You can't continue to be morally and relationally problematic. Okay, we'll see this. So Colossians 3, 1 through 4 starts out this way. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ. So this is again for those that have accepted Jesus, trusting Jesus on the cross. If this is true, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Now, there's a lot of things going on there, okay? This starts with, remember, we ended last week with this admonition to be baptized 
If you're a believer, that's, that's, he, he talks about this in Colossians 2. He talks about, as a believer, you've gone through this spiritual circumcision. God has, has shaved the sinful parts away from you. Not that you will act perfect, but that you no longer are compelled by sin. And he says, it's like this. You've been buried in the likeness of Jesus' death. You've been raised, and he's talking about baptism, raised in new life, just like he raised from the grave. And so that's where he picks up here. He says, since you've been raised to new life, since that's true for you, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Think about the things of heaven, not about this earth. Okay, so I need some help. I got some stuff. You want to do me a favor? I know what you're thinking right now is no. It's okay. I want you to hold this. Right? You, can go, yeah, you can sit right there if you want. Just hold that. Hold it tight. And then I need, I need somebody else over here. You know what? And now you see the trouble. This is why I don't water my flowers. Yeah, it's just not worth it. All right, come on over here. All right, you want to do me a favor and hold that? You might have to stand up. Okay, pull it tight. All right, so here's what we've got. Now, this is not my illustration. This is a Francis Chan thing, but I'm going to steal it because, well, that's cool. Um, and here's what we've got. I want you to think about this rope as eternity. Now, if it's eternity, then it has a starting point, okay? It'll necessarily start, but it won't end. So Keegan, he's not really there. He's just holding this. It just, it goes and goes and goes. And so here's the deal. When Paul says, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, something transformational happens in you, okay? And what it means is that you now get to outlive your physical life, you now get to be different. You now are something called eternal. Okay, now a lot of us think eternal. We, we think, okay, well, we're Christians, so it's only about heaven. No, it's not just only about heaven. It, it has to do with right now. But there's this continual reality then. Okay, and so what that means is, if this represents eternity, then it's about right here that my earthly life, my 75 years my 65 years, <laughs> it's about right here that that's over. Some of you, you got a long ways to go yet. Looking at you kids in the back, you're like, yeah, okay, I, I got a plenty of time. Some of you, not as much. Some of you are already living on borrowed time. That's not me trying to be hard to get along with. That's just the way that it is. Some of you are living on borrowed time. Okay, but regardless, if you look at this, it is over a whole lot more quickly than you think it will be. Oh, you, I don't want that. You hold that. Okay? And you know what? We joke about this sometimes here at the church. We're like, you know what? 50,000 years from now, that won't matter. You know where 50,000 years ends up on this scale? We're like, 50,000 years from now, it won't matter. And you're like, that's so far away. 50,000 years from now, when it doesn't matter, you're right about here. 
I mean, if you think about this, your life matters, but not in the way that you think your life matters. So when Paul says, think about things that are eternal, stop thinking about tomorrow, stop thinking about your retirement, Stop thinking about the nice big boat that you want to buy. Stop thinking about all of those things. Stop thinking about it because it doesn't matter. You know what matters? Eternity matters. Because of the cross of Christ, you now think about things that are eternal. You can drop it. But here's the thing. I'm going to need you later. So don't go very far. All right. We think about things that are eternal because now something has fundamentally changed in you. This is the point. Okay, this is the point that he's saying. Since you've been raised to new life, now think about other things. Think about something that's different. Your life, because you're Christian, now counts with Jesus. You will receive all of the glory when everything comes to fruition, when everything happens. So something you need to understand now is that you need to start giving for the sake of the gospel. I don't mean financially. I'm not after your money. But you need to start pouring yourself out for the sake of the gospel. When Paul says this, you've been raised to new life with Christ. Set your sights on that. Store up your treasures there. Make your life about that. Make your life matter beyond the very end of your physical being and be about something different. And if we really grasped that, if we really got that, I mean, if you really, really, really were focused on eternity, how many of you would prioritize differently? Like, I mean, I I'm preparing for this week and I'm thinking, if I really, really, really focused on things heavenly things, where Christ is, and, and that my uh, life is there, and that I will have share in all of this glory when I get there, and everything will be right when I'm there. If I really remembered that, I would care so little about this 70 years that I get to spend, which is more than half over for me. I would care so little about that. You know what I would think a whole lot less about? I would think a whole lot less about my retirement. I'm not really thinking about my retirement. I mean, it's still a long ways away, but I wouldn't focus on that. I would think a whole lot less about the newer car that I wish I had. I would think a whole lot less about this cool thing called balance that we all strive for. How many of you are searching and striving for balance? That's not biblical. Balance isn't biblical. You know what's biblical? Being a Jesus freak is biblical. I know we hate to think that, right? We hate to be that way. You don't want to be that guy. That guy's weird. But balance isn't biblical. Being a Jesus freak is biblical. Being sold out is biblical. Emptying yourself completely for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ is biblical. When you think about things in eternity, everything changes. So Paul says, nothing will save you but Jesus Christ. But when Jesus Christ saves you, your reality is now vastly different. You think differently. You act differently. You give differently. You serve differently. You forget about you. 
Because you, all of the sudden, in the grand scheme of things, are unimportant. The excuses you use to hold on to your sin are stupid. Because your life is set with Christ on high. So get this, understand this. Whatever you do in the name of the gospel is not waste. Whatever you do in the name of the gospel is counted as credit for you. 2 Timothy 1.12 says this. This is what is Paul talking. He says, that's why I'm suffering here in prison. Okay, and that's be, he, if I'd have given you 1 Timothy 1.11, it was because of the gospel. Because of the gospel, because of Jesus Christ, I'm suffering here in prison, but I'm not ashamed of it because I know who I trust. That's Jesus. And I know that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until the day of his return. Whatever you pour out for the sake of the gospel, you will get in return. Hear me. This sucks. Hear me. God may call you to end relationships you don't want to end. I mean, that is terrible. God may say, look, your relationship is sinful. There's no way around it being sinful. I'm not mad at the proclivity to sin, but you are a new creation. You are a new person, so the sin has to stop, and it may cost you. And you're like, wow, that, that, that's hard. That's hard. You know why it's hard? It's hard because I've only got 70 years, and I don't want to waste them. I don't want to waste them with regrets about things I could have had in these 70 years and the way it should have gone in these 70 years and this and that. And, but you know what? Your life isn't 70 years. God says you're a new creation, so set your sights on the things of heaven. And oh, by the way, whatever it costs you in this life, whatever it costs you now, don't worry about it. I'm storing it up for you. It's not in vain. I'm holding on to it for you, and I will pour it back out. This is what Jesus says when he says, don't store up treasures here on earth. Decay, moths, rust. But no, you store those treasures in heaven, right? Where they are untouchable. This is Paul. This is what he's saying. He's saying, look, you're different. Think about things of heaven. And then he continues. And he says, so here's what you do. You put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Because you're different, you put your sin to death. This is harsh. This is rough. Okay? Some of you... You love your sin. I love mine. Right? It feels good. We like it. It's normal. Actually, that's not even true. We don't like it. Right? As Christians, when we sin, we're never confused thinking that we like it. Right? We just don't like to change it. Right? We know it's wrong. We rationalize. Remember, we got that legal defense team going overdrive in our head, trying to explain to us why it should be okay for us. We have that going on because we know it's not. Right? We know that. But Paul says, put it to death. You are different. Think eternally. Think in perspective of something else. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. This is your moral behavior. He says, fix your moral behavior. Don't be greedy. A greedy person is an idolater. I, 
Idol worship, we're not talking statues and things. You're talking anything that takes the place of God. A greedy person is so worried about things of this world. They're so worried about what they can get and hold on to in this world that they're not thinking eternally. They're not thinking about God and have nothing to do with that. Put that away. Because of these sins, oh, this one stinks. The anger of God is coming. For some of you, oh, it breaks me for you. But if the word of God is to be trusted, and I believe it is, we trust it for salvation, so we ought to trust it for everything. If the word of God is to be trusted for some of you that are reveling in your sin, that have made friends with your sin, that make excuses for your sin, and I don't need to point it out to you, you know what it is. You know. The anger of God is coming. You know this. This isn't... um, I mean, if it's your first Sunday, you don't know this, but if you've been here for any length of time, you know this. Um, Carrie and I, we have done this completely wrong in our lives. And we were warned that we were doing it wrong, and I will continually sing the praises of Byron Hand, a pastor we had at the time, who said, man, you guys are, you guys are insane. We said, Byron, we want God to bless our relationship. We want God to bless our marriage. And he would be like, then why are you spitting in his face by the fact that you're living together and engaging in sex before you get married? That's a good question, Byron. So my legal defense team kicked into high gear. And I decided, well, because when the Bible talks about that, it doesn't really mean it. When the Bible talks about that, it was because people were getting married at 14 and 16. And well, so obviously that could... And we're awesome. We're married in God's eyes, in our hearts. And you know what? Here's the thing. For us, the anger of God was coming. There were, there were times in our relationship where I, I didn't think we'd be here. I didn't think we'd be together. If we hadn't had kids, we probably wouldn't have been because it would have been easier. Now, God's grace is big and God's grace is great and, and, and he fixed what we jacked up. But if you're counting on God to fix what you jack up, <laughs> that's a mistake. Trust me, from a guy who's been through it, it is a tragically awful mistake. And Paul says that here. He says, look, look, I... He's not trying to throw stones. He's not trying to make people feel bad. He just simply says this, don't be greedy. Don't do those things because you're acting the way you acted before you got baptized. See, you get baptized. You say to the whole world, hey, I'm a Christian now. I belong to Jesus now, right? God is in me now. And then you keep acting the way you always acted. Oh, the anger of God is coming. God will not bless sin. God won't bless sin. God can't bless sin. He'll have nothing to do with it. Okay, we keep going in eight, and he says, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. This one, first he was talking about moral behavior. Now he's talking about relational behavior. Stop being a jerk. Get rid of your anger and your rage and your malicious behavior, malicious behavior, not necessarily physically malicious, but some of you know this even better. This is that internally malicious. 
This is that I am plotting against people. I'm looking to undermine people. I am looking to make people purposely feel this big. You know who's awesome at this one? I'm going to be really, really just blunt with you. You know who's awesome at this one? Okay. Middle school kids and church-going Christians. I mean, like, on the same level almost. This malicious behavior, this slander, this manipulation, this trying to get things the way I want them to be, the wicked deeds, all of this. And you know what? We, we do this in the church, and it depends. We end up being somewhere on the spectrum. Okay, you got to hold the rope again. You got yeah, it, Now, the, the rope is different this time. Okay, it's not an eternity now. Now the rope is just a rope. Okay, pull it tight. Like you mean it. All right. So this is the spectrum for Christians. Now, this is for Christians, and we all struggle with these two things, relationally or morally. Sometimes we struggle with both. Sometimes you've got people that are right here smack dab in the middle, and they are morally bankrupt, and they are relationally bankrupt, and they are a Christian that is just not doing it well. Okay? But more often than not, we tend to be really good at one or the other, right? We have some Christians who are morally, they are doing a good job, right? They don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't go with girls that do, right? They just stay over here. That's what my old Southern Baptist church taught me holiness was. <laughs> also, there were no cards, drinking, or dancing. Movies were okay if they were PG or lower. Um, I don't go to that church anymore. Um, <laughs> Goonies is PG-13, Right? They're going to tell me Goonies is bad. Where were we? Oh, yeah, yeah. So this is, this is the morally righteous area, right? We do the right things. We believe the right things. We know the right things. We don't misbehave. We're good here. We like it here, okay? But more often than not, and I don't know why this is, but it tends to be that people that are good down here, they tend to really not always be so awesome at down here. See, this is the relationally, right? This is where we, we are all about love and grace and, and, and pouring out for people and all of these things. We tend to be down here, right? But it's rare, it's rare that we're able to do both of these well. And I'm not sure why that is. Um, I, and, and it doesn't have anything, I don't think, to do with how long you've been a Christian. I don't think it has anything to do with, with uh, the teaching that you've had. I think it just, honestly... I think it has a lot to do with how we were raised. I think it has a lot to do with our family. It has a lot to do with churches we've been to in the past. You know who's better at this, honestly? New Christians. People that become Christians as adults tend to get this figured out easier than people that have been Christians their whole life, right? Because they're not learning or they're not having to unlearn things that they've accidentally learned all the time. They're just coming to this with fresh eyes and saying, well, it just makes sense if I'm new right? Not only do I need to be morally better, but I also need to be relationally better, and they get this figured out. But some of us, me included, like, and I vacillate. I run up and down this thing because I, I'm a little nuts. There are some times when I am doing really well, and I'm, I, I'm all about the moral behavior, but I end up acting like a yahoo towards people. And then there are other times that I got this going on really, really, really well, but, but I can't seem to get my anger under control or my frustration or my whatever. But the reality is, Paul says, you have to have both. If you want to be 
this person who is thinking about things that are eternal, you have to be both. You guys can put the rope down. Thank you. If you got splinters, I'm sorry, or whatever those things are. But here's the deal, right? We have to figure out how to have both. Paul's saying, look, you got to be morally better. Don't be an idolater, right? Don't worship the wrong things. Don't get stuck in sexual sin, in lust, in greediness, in anger, you know, but also fix your relational stuff. Don't lie to each other. Stop being that person. Stop being angry. Stop. You know what? Here's the thing about this too. When you're angry all the time, that doesn't represent the gospel of Jesus Christ any better. Like being angry and malicious and gossipy, that doesn't represent the gospel of Jesus Christ any better than somebody that goes home every night and watches porn. See, this person goes home, they, they, they're, I don't even remember what side of the continuum is what, but, but you know, they, they might treat people really well, but then they go home every night and they engage in sexual sin. That doesn't represent God well. Well, neither does the person who is morally upright, but then treats people like garbage. That doesn't represent God well. What represents God well is being a wholly different person. That's why he says this, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and come, become like him. Some of you ask me, Matt, how do I grow up? And that's a fun question, and I appreciate your asking. How do I grow up? How do I grow up? How do I be a better Christian? It's not complicated. That's what it says. That's the answer. Be renewed, become more like Jesus as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Well, how do you learn to know him? Spend time with him? be in prayer, study the word, go to small group. Our new small group semester will start here in just a few weeks. Um, Signups will begin next week. Go to that. Go to small group. Join a small group. Be around people. Be renewed as you learn to know more and more about the God of the universe, more and more about Jesus Christ, and you learn to become more and more like him. You'll grow up. That's how it works. Okay, but Paul says, look, it, 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 when you think about things of eternity, it is necessarily going to look different. We keep going here in 11. It says, in this new life, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave, or free. You know what matters? Jesus Christ matters. And he lives in us as Christians, and that's what matters. And this is one of those things where we start to realize, you know what? It's one thing to say that I'm new. It's another thing to know that you're new. Jew, Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave, or free doesn't matter. See, here's the thing. As a Christian, you're no longer defined by your sin, right? You're no longer known by your sin. Satan loves to remind us of our sin. And sometimes we end up thinking that we are that. You had an abortion? That's who I am. I'm the person who had an abortion, killed my baby because I didn't want it. 
And so for the rest of your life, Satan wants you to be that person. You had an affair? And for the rest of your life, Satan wants you to be known as adulterer. You got a problem with alcohol or drugs? The rest of your life, Satan wants you to be known as an addict. You got anger issues? You got control problems? Same-sex attraction? Whatever it is. See, for the rest of your life, Satan wants you to be known by your desires and your sins. But God says no more. See, what God says is through Jesus Christ that none of that matters. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, if you're an addict or if you're sober. It doesn't matter if you're the mother of three or if you've had three abortions or both. It doesn't matter if your natural tendency is desire people of the same sex or people of the opposite sex. It doesn't matter. None of that is what it's about anymore. What it's about now is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what it says is Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. And so we are now different than we used to be. See, this is why a relationship with Jesus Christ is so much different than a religion ever could be. See, because a religion says that you have to make up for your mistakes. You have to make up for your natural desires. You have to make up for your proclivity to sin. That I have to, if I was on a religious cycle, I would still be working so hard to make up for my mistakes when Carrie and I were dating. But that's not what matters anymore. We're told here, look, in this new life, this new life that's hid with Christ on high, that's eternal. It doesn't matter where I've been. It doesn't matter what I've done. What matters now is the relationship that I have with Jesus Christ that says it is done and everything changes from here on out. Everything is different because of that relationship. I'm no longer trying to fix it myself. I'm not trying to make up for it myself. Satan will tell me that I have to. We were at this thing over the last three, four days or two days couple of nights, but it doesn't matter. We were at this conference, and there was a speaker that Malia really, really likes. Um, she was like weirdo fangirl. <laughs> like, like she was sitting there. She's, she's, I mean, here's how ridiculous it was. She walks into the auditorium of this church where we're at this right now conference, and she's giddy, and she's like, <laughs> I said hi to Bianca. She said hi back. It, it was cute. <laughs> but one of the things that she said was simply this. It was, it was a reminder, and I don't know if it was hers or somebody else's, but, but she made the comment that, you know what, uh, it reminded me of this statement in Colossians 3.11, that Satan knows your name but calls you by your sin. And God knows your sin but calls you by your name. You are not that person you are different than that. It doesn't matter. In this life, your life with Jesus that is hid with Christ on high, that is thinking eternally, that doesn't matter. Everything is different now. And that's just the way that it goes. Okay, we're going to finish up this text pretty quickly here. So since God chose you to be holy people, uh, he loves, you must clothe yourselves with uh, tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, humility, gentleness and patience, 
Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you. You must forgive others. We're like, okay, so how do I live for, for Christ? How do I live for God without being a jerk? How do I change the way I am? You know what? Clothe yourself differently. You know what that means? It means be who you are now. Don't be who you were then. Be who you are now. Let go of that guy. Put that girl away. Be who you are now. Who you are now is new. Who you are now is a child of God. Who you are now is someone who has been loved by the God of the universe so much. He has lavished so much love on you that you are called this child of God. You are different than you were. So get dressed differently. Get dressed differently. You know, some of you wish I would wear suits on Sunday mornings. It's okay. I'm not mad at you. I'm just not going to accommodate you. But I will wear suits when I do a funeral. And some of you are always so gracious to say, oh, you look so good, you should wear suits more often. And I always say, oh, well, when you have a funeral, I'll wear a suit. Um, <laughs> whatever. I mean, it is what it is. I assume we're having this fun banter. <laughs> you may assume differently, but that's on you, brother. Anyway, here's the point. Because it's a different thing, I dress differently. Right? I dress differently. I outfit myself correctly for what I'm about to do. You aren't who you were anymore. You're somebody different now. And what Paul says, you want to know how to live this life without being a jerk or without being someone who's stuck in moral corruption, somebody who is wildly different than they used to be, you get dressed differently. Clothe yourself with the right kind of things, the things that are rooted with Christ, the things that are new about you. Get dressed in that. Tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. I love this. Make allowance for other people's faults, right? Stop looking to be offended by things. Oh, I am terrible at this one. Like, I always assume that people meant to hurt my feelings. Truth is, it's not about me at all. People aren't thinking about me. But my natural assumption, because Satan sucks and it's the way I'm wired and it's this, I automatically assume that people are trying to hurt me on purpose when the thing is they're not even thinking about me. And God says, and Paul says, be different than that. Make allowance for each other's faults. Assume better of people. Assume better of people. And when they did wrong you, forgive. Overlook. Why? Because God forgave you. You must forgive others. You're different now. Clothe yourself the right way. Get outfitted for what you're about to do. He continues, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. You know what that is? Okay, that's agape love. That is the same kind of love that God had for you when he sent Jesus to the cross. Right? When, he, when, when God looked at me and said, man, Matt Hance, that guy is wicked. Not wicked awesome, just wicked. That guy is broken, he's messy, he is a sinner in the worst way. He refuses to follow my instructions, he refuses to listen to good advice that I put in his way, he refuses to follow me. I can't wait to get him in my family. 
See, that's the way that worked. God looked at me and he said, that guy sucks. I can't wait for him to be part of my family. I can't wait to have him with me for all eternity. I can't wait. I need him in my, I mean, that's what happened on the cross. God looked at you. He saw you. He wasn't confused by you, but he still sent Jesus. That's agape love. And so now what we're being told is because we're new, because we're new and our lives are hid with Christ in heaven and we're thinking eternally, that's how we're supposed to act towards each other? Clothe yourselves with agape love? That's crazy. But that's what it is. That's how we treat people. And there's something about that that acts like glue. It's this binding agent that brings us all together in perfect harmony. And the peace of Christ will rule. And all of those things will happen when we submit to this. And then we finish up, last thing. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do, whatever you say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Ask our praise team to come up and get ready to close this out as I just tell you this last thing about this song here. Or I'm sorry, about this text here. As Paul finishes up this portion of the letter, he says, look, let the message, everything we're talking about, we're talking about you are now different than you used to be, so act morally better. Act relationally better. Clothe yourselves in love. Don't be a jerk. Don't be that person represent God well. And we get to this part and he says, so let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your life. Let everything that you are about be rooted in the message of Jesus Christ. And the message of Jesus Christ is simply this. God loves you like crazy. You are not your sin. God doesn't know you by your sin. God doesn't call you by your sin. God doesn't even remember your sin. But what he says is this. He says, let that message, the message that God loves you so much that he wants eternal goodness for you. He wants you to outlive your life. He wants you to not focus so much on the 70, 75, 80, maybe 100 if I'm really doing it well. Who wants that? Um, people that are 95 usually. But anyway, um, <laughs> Don't focus on that. God says, I love you so much, I want you to forget about that. I want you to lose that life. Why? Because there's something so much better when you let go of that. You hold on to that, you guess what you get? You get a miserable 90 whatever years on this earth. That's it. But God says, let go of that. Let the message of Christ permeate everything you do. And the message of Christ is this. You are loved so much and God wants you so bad that when you give that up, he gives you everything else. I don't know about you guys, but that's a, that's a good trade. So we're going to sing this last song. I ask you to stand. We're going to sing this last song. And whatever you're holding on to in this 80 years... I keep moving. Is it 70? Is it 80? Is it 90? It doesn't matter. I, whatever you're holding on to, it's time to let go. Understand that God is the great breaker of chains and he has something so much better for you. You can work really hard to behave really well 
and to make up for mistakes that you've made or problems that you've got or things that are wrong, and it will never finish. It'll never satisfy. It'll never do for you what you hope it will do. It's the cross of Christ that saves. It's the blood of Jesus that justifies. It is the gospel of grace that makes things right. If you have not submitted to that, I don't, I mean, you, you maybe have been here your whole life, right? Or somewhere else and then here, whatever. You, you may be a, as churched as it gets, but if you've not submitted to the gospel of grace and given your life to Jesus, none of it will ever make any sense for you and none of it will ever make a difference for you and you will be scrambling and there will be times when it feels like it's going well and then there are going to be times when it falls apart because ultimately it's flawed. Jesus and Jesus alone finishes everything. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for the gracious, good God that you are that looked into eternity and said, I need those people. I will make a way for those people to be right. I will find a way to justify and forgive them. And you sent Jesus as your ultimate plan to make, to make us new. God, we thank you for that. We praise you for it. We, we, we honor you for it. And we give you praise and glory. We love you and we thank you. Amen.